Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, July 15th. It's time for Wimbledon Wrap-Up Pod, our third Grand Slam of the 2019 season, finally in the books. What a weird set of finals we had. On the one hand, we have a blowout. On the other hand, we get our first 12-all tiebreaker in Wimbledon final history. Now, obviously, it's the first year of that format, but that they were able to reach that result in its first year of happening. Just tremendous tennis, obviously, in today's men's final. Joining me to recap the entire weekend of tennis, talk about our you know initial takeaways from, again, what was an outstanding championship weekend, is my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the man who probably still thinks he has a better serve than Roger Federer, Maxwell Labauer-Roth. And Maxie, welcome back to the Mini Break Pod. I wouldn't say it's better, but like you, you have to admit I serve <laughs> as hard as them. Like That's the thing. Like When people ask, like, hey, how hard do you serve? And and I say, look, like I can serve 100 and I can serve up to 130. I've popped 130 mile an hour serve before. So Go watch the pros, watch how they serve, and I can serve as hard as that. But no, I'm not placing it Roger Federer-esque. I mean, look at the dude had 25 aces against Djokovic. Like, I'm not stupid. What's crazy is in your mind, you think it's humble to say that you don't quite place it like Roger Federer. You're, in your mind, you're like, I'm close, but I'm not quite Roger Federer. And like, no, that, that's hilarious. I mean, no, I'll say I'm this. Close. I've seen you pop a 130 serve before. That is a true statement. But the reason I bring it up is because in the press conference today after the match, or t- today, I know we're releasing this Monday. We record this late Sunday night, West Coast time early Monday morning on the East Coast, and in the Djokovic press conference. Yeah, you like that little dig at you, Rothman? Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, sorry, that was a little bad. I just feel bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. Again, happy to stay up for Wimbledon. But in the press conference, Djokovic was asked, you know, comparing serves. He was talking about Roger Federer's returns. He was like, you know, Federer, it doesn't matter if it's a 150-mile-per-hour serve. And then he pauses like serious pause and maybe he was converting to kilometers in his head but in my thing I think he was thinking god what number can I give that's believable but still impressive and goes versus you know my 100 mile per hour, 120 mile per hour first serve and I was like oh you go with 120 Novak huh like you think that's what you're registering on constantly on? I mean he's not wrong but it was just he's funny the, he's in the teens I mean, certainly always in the one teens, but 120s seems a little high. But my point was when he answered that, I was like, that's the Rothman answer. And well, Rothman might say, you know, 150 versus 130. I was just, I was curious what you would say. But that's a hot intro to what was obviously a fantastic week of tennis. I mean, just right away, Rothman, your takeaways from the, it lived up to the hype, right? Would you say in comparison to the other two final weekends we've had from the majors? Well, I don't know about that. I mean,. Yeah, the, the French final, I guess, wasn't exactly what we were expecting. But, the, look, I, obviously the, the men's final was absurd. This is the match that everyone wanted. I mean, nobody could have drawn it up better than this. You know, 12-all in the fifth set. I mean, it's just the most iconic thing you could have asked for. Uh, and then on the other hand, you know, Simona just absolutely whoops Serena. So, you know, totally opposite finals um, on, on the men's and women's side. But... It was, you know, heartbreaking for the Federer fans, and uh, of course the the whole goat debate conversation has been brought up, you know, eight million times since. And I've gotten texts about, you know, different different questions you know, regarding Djokovic and Federer, but uh, it, it's about as you know good as you could have asked for, on, at least from the the men's side. 
there were a lot of side conversations. The best of five format. Should we play a fifth set tiebreak? Uh, you know, I'm sure we will talk about all of those things throughout our conversation. But yes, there's so much tennis to, uh, to talk about. You ready to rock and roll? Yeah, let's dive in. The one match I think we have to start with, the men's final. Just any time you get 12-all, fifth set of a you know a Grand Slam final, that's something that deserves to be discussed. Obviously, the match we're talking about to set the scene, number one seed Novak Djokovic comes into this final, having looked you know stellar all tournament. I believe he dropped two sets along the way, one to Hubie Hercatch in the third round, one to Roberto Bautista Agut in Friday's semifinal versus Roger Federer coming into this, having also dropped two sets, but coming off of a semifinal performance against Rafa Nadal where he simply played maybe the best tennis of his career or as close to it, maybe his best performance ever against Rafa Nadal. And, you know, the semifinals in the past, we didn't get a chance to podcast about it. And we don't have to talk about what happened in that match, but I think there's important context to say because in that match, Roger Federer, completely different strategy, right? He's playing a lefty in Nadal. He's hitting through, you know, 75% of his backhands versus in this Novak Djokovic match, uh, you know, he's hitting slice, he's playing diversity, he's got to come in more often, he's got to take time away from Novak, but he also knows, and we we talked about this off air, if he's patient because Novak Djokovic, it's death by a million paper cuts, but he certainly likes to play with his food a little bit before he gets through the match, he was going to have chances, and I mean right off the bat, that 7-6 first set, you could tell both guys, you know, no breaks of serve, they were finding their rhythm, and it was just, it was fantastic. It was fantastic counterpunch. You know, we had the counterpuncher in Djokovic versus the aggressor in Federer. It's why it's such an aesthetically pleasing matchup. Absolutely. And and look, yes, there was a, a complete different uh, strategy for Federer against Nadal uh, versus Djokovic. Like you said, Djokovic takes his time trying to figure out what's working for him and, and especially in that first set you could tell you know not necessarily always going for you know big shots I think later in the match you saw him taking that backhand down the line a little bit more being a little bit more aggressive at times but I mean I, you're right I think the the sad part is Federer had multiple chances in the match obviously had two match points but both breakers just did not bring out his best tennis you know sprayed backhands that that was a, a consistent theme throughout the match for him just spraying backhands long um so definitely just not not great to see the the lack of uh clutch factor which you usually see from him in a tie break i don't I don't know if I necessarily agree that he was spraying backhands long the entire match, but it's funny because one of the hot takes that, and again, uh, you can't get lost in tennis Twitter, and I really tried not to today, and it was nice because I was on the road when the match actually happened, and when I was watching the replay later, obviously I didn't need to scroll through the instant reactions like people who were watching it live, but one of the counterpoints was, was this match actually that high quality throughout? Obviously the drama in its most intense moments this match delivered on all fronts, but you know, the, the quality of play from Djokovic from Federer was it as high a level as their 2014-2015 finals that was one of the ongoing debates and it was really interesting to me because as you mentioned in that first set you know neither guy created many opportunities for themselves as you mentioned it ends up going to a tiebreaker I believe Federer snuck out to a 5-3 lead and one of the things we see from Roger Federer throughout the day you're looking at the stats 94 winners against 62 unforced errors he was patient 
but he absolutely took his opportunities to move forward. He knew he had to approach when given a short ball. He knew he had to attack the Djokovic forehand side because the last thing in the world you want to do is give Novak Djokovic a chance to do something special on the run. Although, of course, Federer playing to that forehand side. We'll see how it didn't work for him on a match point a little bit later. But for Federer, he races out to that 5-3 lead. And then, you know, he just... Novak Djokovic does what he does. He stays alive. He does, all, you know, always makes you play the extra shot, especially in a tiebreaker format when it's a race to seven. You cannot give him any free points. And that's what Federer did at 5-3, you know, chooses, he comes in behind a forehand, he should, but he misses the approach shot, then it's 5-all in the first set breaker, Djokovic, uh, or 5-4, 4-5, Djokovic hits a good first serve, 5-all, Djokovic hits a first serve, gets, uh, you know, plays a couple of balls to Federer's backhand, obviously gets the short ball he's looking for, and then at that 5-all point, something he did that I thought was, you know, a really brilliant play by him, something he obviously knows, this is his 48th attempt playing Roger, or 48th match against Roger. He also did it on set point six four in the third set breaker. He approached the Federer forehand. He understood, look, Roger expects me to go to that backhand. I've been playing to that side this entire match. And he said, look, my, not only is my backhand down the line good, but I know I have to change direction on Roger, get him uncomfortable, get him on the move. And his willingness to do that, it seems obvious, but when you're in a tiebreaker in a Grand Slam final, it's that much harder to do. And just those little moments of execution, those little decisions to hit approach shots to the Roger Federer forehand, that's why he was able to win the big points, in my opinion, and ultimately win the match, because he wasn't afraid in the big moments to do the hardest thing. Well, look, I mean, that that ultimately is what decided this match. I, like I said, Federer, normally Mr. Clutch, at, truly blew it. I mean, at in that fifth set, the blew game— it's harsh, he, though, right? Because it's blew not, it feels— though. Str- it, no, it's not. He, he even so acknowledged cliche. it. It's not cliche, though. It's exactly how it is. I mean, he had, during his service game, I think it was at love or 15 Love, had a one of those ones where he did a swinging volley, swinging forehand volley, and pushed it long. You know, that those are the kind of points where the whole match, he makes them and don't make them in the, the you know, kind of most important times. And uh, total opposite for Djokovic. Think about first of all, just his match point save that cross court forehand passing well, wait, shot. Hold, hold I mean, that fifth set thought because I do want to get there. But again, let's set the scene for listeners because we have five sets to play with. So seven six okay. seven six first set Djokovic. Then he makes the decision and whatever. It's a five tanks. set match. He tanks the second set against Roger Federer. We talked about this a little bit because we I was on the road. I was calling with you and your family, which was by the way such a pleasure to get to experience that whole thing. You guys did a great play by play team. ESPN, if you're listening, put the Rothmans on court seven next year. I prime like let me call in court as well. Seven. Uh, we're not ready for the prime time. We we swore too I'm much. Messing. Yeah, exactly. We <laughs> yeah, cut we out. did. Yeah, so so we will get there. But I mean, we talked about this. You're playing Roger Federer, and so your margin of error from the get go thin. And yeah, you're Novak Djokovic, so I guess it's a little larger than the average human, but still incredibly thin. And you make the decision to take the second set. I was blown away. So. It's so interesting, first of all, yeah, crazy that he did that. But one of the things that was brought up about Federer is that he often kind of tanks games. And and it's definitely out of a attempt to conserve energy, and sure. I respect that. And, and tanking probably also isn't the right word. It's more over-aggression to the point where he's all, it almost looks like he's slapping. 
yeah. and he definitely did that throughout this match. But Djokovic was it. Djokovic's second set was a complete tank, and that kind of blew my mind. It wasn't just like going for broke because trying to conserve energy. It was just a. Well, I'm out of it. Oh, I want to oh, reset. Can we say it was to save energy? Because, again, he sure, knew. You but, saw that first set, how many extra balls he has to track down. And, you know, you mentioned total points. It's 218 for Federer, 204 for Djokovic. But that's 422 points on the day. And the reason it's so lopsided, he looks at that second set and goes, nah, I'm good. Right. I mean, he he basically just, once he lost that first service game, it was like, you know what, mentality, I, I'm out of this set. I don't feel like fighting back. And it look, Federer does the same thing. There there are certain games when he's down love 40, he's like, or down love 30 even on a Djokovic service game. He says, screw it. I'm going to go for a huge return. If it's in, it's in. Great. And a lot of times it works because he's freaking Roger Federer and he can try and go for broke. And a lot of times it'll play out well. So it, it, look, it, you, want it, you can be upset that he tanked a set, but... Uh, at the same time, it's pretty strategic. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, you look at, uh, again, sets two and set four. Federer gets early breaks against Djokovic, and Djokovic has a big margin. You know, he looks at himself, I can go down an early break. I'm the best returner of all time. But Roger today, 25 aces against six double faults. 63% of his first serves go in. He wins 79% of his first serve points. 51% of his second serve points. Does not get broken on serve. Oh, no, no, that's not true. He double breaks Djokovic in the second set to go up 5-2. Djokovic does get one of the breaks back. But that there was holding... not a break. There wasn't a break point on Fed serve until the fourth set. Yeah, and so and look, when you're going 51 of 65, 78% on the net, plus you're Roger freaking Federer, like that is a success rate. I mean, he played out not outstanding also, tennis, but he attacked. He played his sort of grass style, uh, you know, I'm taking the ball away from you. I'm playing strike first tennis that just gets any player out of your comfort zone. And that's why I think you look at, you know, Djokovic in the press conference. Obviously, it's 13-12, so this is an, uh, an incredibly difficult match already. But he called it the most mentally, not physically, but the most mentally draining match he's ever played. And that's what I keep coming back to. It's these little things Novak kept doing. Doing. He kept tracking down that extra ball in the fifth set. He kept attacking the Federer forehand. And it just, when the margins are this thin, it's those little things executing under pressure, being the guy who doesn't blink, you know, doesn't make the error in the big moment. It's just so special. It, it is. And, and you glossed over that net point statistic way too fast. 51 of 65 is absurd. 78% really of your net points is amazing, especially against a guy like Djokovic who gets to everything, is so smart about where he places it, has watched so much film, knows where Roger Federer is going when he's at the net. Uh, you know, there were a few times I will acknowledge where he did miss a few passing shots that he probably could have made. Um, but look, at also Federer in, in his press conference said uh, he can't believe it. He, he's like, I can't believe that I, I left those op- that opportunity on the table and, and had that chance. You very rarely hear from him a level of almost disappointment in himself and disbelief. And it's because, for seriously, I've never seen Federer this unclutch 
it, it was mind-blowing to watch. It really was. Uh, okay, again, I, I don't think unclutch is the right word. And the reason why, let's talk about this fifth set now. And I know this is a long recap, but this match was a long match and deserving of every word. Uh, we get, you know, you start off the fifth set, 3-2, Novak Djokovic breaks Roger to go up 4-2, breaks him 30-40. You think to yourself, okay, Djokovic finally got the break. Now it's go time. He's nope. he's looking fresh. Obviously, when you have to come back from two sets to one down, it takes a lot of juice and you're feeling good. Nope. Roger comes back, breaks right away. Four all. Let's go to overtime. Seven all. You know, Roger, uh, I think it's 15 all. He he draws two forehand errors from Djokovic over the next two points uh, for 15-40. Djokovic not feeling confident in that forehand. Forces a forehand pro- approach to the Roger forehand side, a play he had been doing, again, successfully all day. Roger hits the short angle passing shot, gets the break for 8-7. Now the real fun begins. Roger Federer, 20-time Grand Slam champion, 8-time Wimbledon champion, the winningest player on grass in tennis history, you know, male or female, start, maybe except for Navratilova, steps onto the court, serving for the match. Uh, makes three out of the four first serves on his first uh, four points, two of them being aces up the tee, starting after 15 all, goes up 40-15. You say he's on clutch. Here's why I come up with the counterpoint. So that 40-15 point, Roger makes a first serve to the Djokovic forehand, which we both agreed earlier, that's the play for Roger on the deuce side. Get Novak stretched, open up the court for yourself, give yourself a one-two punch. To Novak's credit, I know Federer had a makeable forehand because he missed the plus, or it wasn't a plus one, but he missed the second ball. But Novak lasers that forehand return right at Roger's feet. I don't blame that error on Roger. Then then 40-30, just real quick because we have it back-to-back. Again, misses the first serve from Federer. Second serve, or no, no, makes the first serve. Sorry, Novak hits a slice forehand floater return. So, of course, Federer, you know, he's 51 of 65 at the net or 51 of 64, I guess, at that time. Comes forward, or less than that, but you get the point. Comes forward, attacks the Djokovic forehand, which we agree is the play. And then Djokovic just does what Novak Djokovic does. Hits the forehand, uh, you know, flip shot, cross court pass, gets it back to Deuce. Now, if you're saying he's unclutched because he didn't hit that 40-30 forehand uh, approach shot well enough, I just don't think that's fair. But now, I, I if you're saying he didn't, I'm just, no, but just I'm saying, that point. but separately, yeah, he had a, a bunch of chances. But I'm saying, don't t- I think it's unfair to say Roger Federer was unclutched because simply put, do you know the the f-ing huevos it takes to hit that forehand pass against Federer on match point? Like, if you're Federer, you're like, beat me. And what Novak Djokovic did is said, okay, I will. See, okay, unclutch. I don't want to say it's the wrong word, but I've never seen the. I guess amount of errors on big points where I expect him to make smarter decisions. Like it it just, it was one of those things where it's like, you are Roger Federer and I've seen you do this a hundred times and now you're not, and you've made a mistake and it's just, it's rare. Like it it was a rare thing that I feel like you just, you you expect certain things out of him and his level of play. And there were times where it wasn't quite there. Now, granted there were times where he was all there and you know the the break back like you said after that break at 4 at 3-2 ridiculous like that that's the kind of you know clutch level tennis that we expect from him and and he put it there but 
It's also, some of his inside and forehands, what you you were saying during the car, and I finally got the chance to see them. You you did not like overhype them. It's just like, how do you do that? You know, the margin of error for th- is so thin, and you're hitting that shot, Roger. Yeah, I I guess you're up forty fifteen. You hit back to back aces. I don't know how you don't hold serve there, just in that hypothetical scenario. But then having watched it, I guess that's what, what my problem is because on those two match points, Djokovic hit I okay. The forehand the forehand pass in itself was a great shot. I guess Roger undercooked that approach shot. But the first forehand return that drew the quick error, I just thought I mean on grass, no, it was good great. luck it was handling that, right? Yeah. The, yes. It, the the thing that was not talked about enough as a whole, and I, and I am transitioning a little bit away from this conversation, was Federer's ability to move. And his fitness throughout the entirety of the match. Mm. The man is 37 years old. My brother and I went outside, and granted, it was pretty hot here today in Southern California. <laughs> we were dead after an hour of just running around and playing. And this guy is 37. He's four hours and 40 minutes into a match, and he's still moving against Djokovic, a, against who's going to rope a dope you. And and like you were saying with those inside outs, I can't even believe he gets around him. Like it's the way he gets around him is still it, it, it's beautiful, but. Seriously, the the thing that is so interesting is the whole time I'm, I'm thinking, if I'm Djokovic, how am I not just moving Roger Federer around the court and tiring him out and, you know, creating space for myself? It's because you can't. Because Roger does such a good job playing the ball to the right corner. Djokovic would try and stretch him hitting a downline forehand. Roger would put a slice back to that forehand. And that is such a rare thing to see. Because most of the, it's just so much more natural to bring that slice back cross court, and that's the the kind of thing that Djokovic would want. You just Federer was so smart about how he moved, and it's just it wasn't talked about enough. The guy yeah. is thirty seven. He's it amazing. was I agree. It was textbook, and especially going behind Djokovic on grass, like such a sneaky play. But to Djokovic's credit, I thought he oh, so when he struggled in this match, it's when he wasn't getting the that cross court response when Federer would go backhand down the line because because right. Djokovic had no fear going cross court on the forehand. But when he wasn't getting it deep enough, you know that's when Roger would strike. That's when he's going forehand down the line, following that boy in. Good luck getting that first volley from Fed. Um, you know, even if you're Djokovic, and sometimes Djokovic did, and I, again, I'll continue to say the biggest takeaway, the biggest winner from this Wimbledon, Djokovic's ankles for not shattering into a thousand pieces, uh, but just an outstanding level from him. But you talked about, you know, he wasn't able to break Federer. I think he did. I think 13, you know, you talk about the match point, and I know this is one point after a four-hour, 57-minute match, but he tried to get around the forehand, and he shanked that ball. Djokovic just, I said it earlier, death by a thousand paper cuts. He stays alive. He always makes you hit the extra ball. He's not going to blow you off the court with weapons, but he's going to change directions enough to make you uncomfortable. He snuck some backhand up the line, as he always does, where you're just like, ugh. That is just you're just like Alex Zverev. Just watch this match. You see what Djokovic did there? Like you have that backhand. You could do that. And so I guess he doesn't have the movement though. Yeah, but I mean, just sensational. And then I mean, we've talked enough about the tennis, but just a couple of takeaways, Uh, real quickly. So again, 
four hours, 57 minutes, these guys are on court. And to recap, Novak Djokovic, 7-6-1-6-7-6-4-6-13-12 winner, wins his 16th Grand Slam of all time. I believe that's his sixth Wimbledon now, maybe his fifth, but just fifth. 16 Grand Slams. I think Courier said it on the Tennis Channel broadcast. It's a two-slam swing. You know, Federer had a chance to get to 21, and this one would have been particularly sweet to beat Djokovic at this point in his career. But now Djokovic, four away from Federer. Would have been the oldest man ever to win a yeah. Grand Slam, too. And I don't, I'm, I don't want to entertain the GOAT debate right now because we'll, we can get into that later. But I just – what a moment for Novak Djokovic. I do have to say again, five hours later, you watch that press uh, – the press conference, the little post-match tournament display, trophy display they do. And I get why they do it. Oh, tennis is so classy. But – I think it's time to get rid of that. You saw Federer's face, and no, no disrespect to Federer, who handles himself with class as well. And you know, as well, he's a textbook example of what you want to do if you're a young professional, how to model yourself off the court. But you could see when he was interacting with the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate, like he just kind of just looked at her and was just like, "All right, give me that f- plate." Like, I just want to get the f*** out of here. Like, I cannot believe you're making me do this. And, like, he's like, I don't want to look at Djokovic's freaking smirk. Like, are you serious? You're going to make me sit with uh, Djokovic? Like, I don't want to do any of this. And then, you know, by contrast, Djokovic goes up and he, like, gives Kate a little bow. They're talking. They're chatting, you know, rubbing shoulders. And it's like, I just... It's so uncomfortable. It's mortifying. And, yeah, Federer's funny, so he entertains the crowd with his post-match conference answers. But it's like, ugh, like... It was just a little cringy. It is. It, it's tough to watch because you know exactly what he's thinking, and it's just brutal. The The only thing that I'll say about the GOAT debate is that for far too long, and I hate saying this, but for far too long, people have just absolutely ruled out Federer and, or excuse me, Nadal and Djokovic, and it's absurd to do that. You just can't do it. it. It's a debate. It's an absolute debate. There is no outright winner at this point, even though Federer has a lead. Um, you can, you know, at me and, and argue with me on Twitter if you'd like. Um, but the only thing that I'll say is that Did you say there's Federer's no debate? Co- no, I'm saying there is a debate. Uh, oh, there I'm obviously sorry. is a debate. There's no way to say that there's no debate. I um, blocked this like I blocked the Twitter feed because those debates, I'm just like, ugh, we're doing this again. I, I know. There's a name of a Twitter person. I don't want to call him out because I'm a fan of – like sometimes he posts things that are brilliant. Other times he's just clearly – do I call? I don't want to call him out, but I've had to zone. I've been like, you know, even Twitter Tuesdays have taken a hit because I just get too angry. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not let you get worked up. <laughs> yeah. All I was going to say, Federer competing with an informed prime Djokovic at this age is a huge consideration into this whole thing. It's unbelievable that he's doing it right yeah. now. The level of tennis, even though it's not, again, maybe not as high as it was 14 and 15 finals, 13-12 in the fifth set, as a fan of tennis, that's the sort of finality or, you know, the, the sort of, you know, intense pressure-packed moment you, you, you beg for. Let's spend two seconds on this because I'm sure I'll talk about it with Matt Zemek and I'm sure I'll talk, well, everyone will be talking about it. And, uh, but this 13-12, you know, the tiebreaker at 12-all, um, at that point in the match, both guys had had break opportunities. So you could argue that a break, one of these guys could have gotten a break at some point. It wasn't an Isner-Mahout situation. Um, but that being said, first time in action in a singles final, what did you think of the format? I mean... Here, here's my thing. For, so, first of all, I think this could be a hot take. I think Fed wins this if there's no tie break. I, I think he finds a way to pull out the break. I don't care that he's older and and 
that he wasn't going to be moving as well, he would have figured it out. 7 of 13 on breakpoint opportunities for Fed, 3 of 8 for Djokovic, not a hot take. Yeah, okay. Um, but, look, I, I think there, there's two ways to look at this. One, you say let it play out because you want to see who's more fit and who can outlast the other. And then there's this format where pretty much at this point, any point past this, you're just kind of looking at that. You're looking at who's going to be able to just be a little bit more fit and, and make that extra ball. I think this was the appropriate time where they were still playing kind of their, you know, peak level. The of quality hadn't being... diminished too far. Right. Because sure. of the fat- the fatigue had not set into a point where it, it was affecting or impacting their level of play. And that's what I like to see. I, li- I don't like to see a guy, you know, not able to move out there and hit his normal strokes because he's just too tired. And that's not fun to watch. Uh, so I, I liked it from that perspective, uh, but I do, you know, kind of like I said, I think Fed might have won this had it not been a tiebreak situation, and, and, you know, there's something to say about that as well. As members of the media, you know, we try and remain unbiased. <laughs> Westoff, give me a laugh track there, please. Um, no, but it was fun because it felt like everyone was cheering for Federer, and so, of course, I was in the Djokovic camp the whole time. And, yeah, there is something, too, I agree. Uh, just let these guys battle it out. Let, let's see who can remain on the court, and I totally get it. And you're at 12-all at that point already, so you might as well keep going. I, I, I totally see that side of the argument. The counterpoint is if these two players weren't Novak Djokovic and Roger, Roger Federer, I know this seems unlikely, but let's say it was like Chorich versus, I don't know, Roberto Bautista Agut. Would you have really wanted to see more than 12-all in the fifth set? Would the average fan, not you, you being the pejorative average fan, have stuck around for more than five sets? This was an extreme, you know, extenuating circumstance. Further than right. that, let's say it's the uh, third round, right? And it's it actually is, you know, Ivo Karlovic versus Matthew Ebden. And they're at 34-all in the fifth. Like, We've been there. We've all done that. No one wins in that scenario. So it's about – and there is an argument maybe you don't have the fifth set have – or the men's final have that sort of restriction on the fifth set. Maybe you make it an exception to the rule, and I don't know if the players would be okay with that. That seems like a reasonable compromise, the sort of reasonable compromise that tennis has been incapable of over the past 25 years. Um, But – Yeah, I think think that's the compromise though is is during the But I like the finality. I love – breakers i mean i'm unique and well, at look, certain point we, i just like, like the world idea. team tennis it, where <laughs> you know you, no ad that's that's the sh- i mean that's that's where it gets real intense and where it becomes more high stakes but look let let it get cut short during the week where it actually the scheduling matters and then let the final just run out i think that makes more sense look it in a final circumstance if evo first of all if Ivo Karlovic and, and Matthew Ebden are in a final, I don't think it matters as much. I think you're in a final of Wimbledon. Well, that's and, the thing, though. And, but they... and the quality is high. Let them keep playing as long as they want. Uh, yes, a third round, I don't want to see a 34-32 match yeah. uh, with those two. But this is a Wimbledon final. I think anyone who's getting to this point, regardless of whether it's Djokovic and Fed, people are going to be excited to see more tennis as long as it's high quality. That's fair, but I love the idea of a finish line, the finality of a tiebreaker. Trust me, I'm on that camp too. I'm playing devil's advocate. No, 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 no. I I think that's why, again, I hate using us as examples, uh, but whatever. It's not like I'm a modest guy, but like I feel like we're the type of fans tennis is trying to reach out to. Right? Not really because we're loyalists, we're purists, we're going to be with the sport no matter what they do, but at the same time, we can speak from 
I suppose, a youthful perspective. And it's like, I get the idea of sudden death tiebreaker. That's what I'm into. And again, it was Djokovic Federer. So you have media personalities from across the spectrum, you know, uh, from the tennis world, basketball world, you know, I think from Kobe Bryant to Bill Simmons, whatever, you know, media to athlete, everyone's tuning in to this match. Um, But if it's not these two, what does the average fan think of a 25-25 final set? And that's that's the question. And I get, you know, there are people, again, I'm not going to name this person, but if they listen to the pod, you know who you are, who on Twitter are so provocative because they're like, oh, you can't ruin it at all. Just any sort of ruin. Who cares about the average fan? You have to be a purist. And it's like, get over yourself. That's ridiculous. You're telling me that seven, you weren't thrilled, you know, when Djokovic goes up on mini break, and by the way, nice little plug for the mini break podcast, uh, 4-1 in that, like, that that wasn't each, you weren't on the edge of your seat every time when Federer brings it back to 4-3 in that fifth set breaker. You're not like, oh, now it's 4-3. It's one point away. The cl- the idea of it being that close is so thrilling. I just like, again, I, I we don't have to spend too much more time on this topic, but I, I'm, I'm totally cool with it. Yeah. I, I would love to see a Twitter poll doing the scenario Ooh. of Roger Federer, endless fifth, and, you know, n- not no name, no name, but less name than yeah, these don't, two. Don't rip on Karlovich and Ebden again. Look, I, I like both I, of them. I like both of them, They too. were the names. I, I was going to say, like, when you chose those two, I was kind of like, oh, those are both nice guys who, like, who just... Imagine, do- like, Karlovich, Duty, Sela. It's, like, 26 <laughs> all in the fifth. Duty's, like, with brings out the cane. Like, Evo's like, I all, can't all the, all the fans from Israel have took a flight all the way over just to start rooting him on. Duty, Duty. Yes. Seriously, and if it's 25 all in the fifth, you could leave Israel at the start of the match and make it for the ending. Exactly. So, like, so you got time on your hands. But I, I would be interested in seeing you know what the the average person who doesn't follow tennis as closely thinks about a an endless fifth set with those two versus someone they may not know. It'd be it'd be an interesting poll. Yeah, and hopefully in the U.S. Open and you know just throughout, we'll get to see new names emerge. Because I guess any a final thought on okay, here's my final thought on the men's final. We've done 30 minutes on one match, so we can move on after this. But I want your response. You know my thoughts on the Big Four, their staying the power, how I want fresh face. Uh, we're not doing that right now. <laughs> um, just all of these things uh, and how it relates to them and performances. I will say this. Semi-final weekend, maybe because it's Wimbledon, maybe it's because Federer played so well over the course of both matches, and Nadal, Djokovic, just the ending of the match is so compelling. You know, Nadal had a break point when he's playing Federer uh, at the end of that fourth set to get the back match back at all square, um, but... They lived up to the hype. This weekend was everything I wanted from the men's side. And as disappointing as it was to watch those guys steamroll through the first week of the half of the tournament, they made up for it, the semifinals and finals round. Well, I don't think the first week and a half was that bad. I really don't. I think there were times where... Well, first of all, I think the reason you say that is, you know, we had a Tsitsipas, a Zverev, uh, a team, you know, all these guys losing early and that makes it, you know, less exciting in some of the later rounds because you want to see some of those young guys in the quarterfinals giving, you know, the big well, three uh, a run for their money. And so, it's you know, it's that kind of thing. The round of 16 was a flop. Yes. It was on the men's side. Not on the women's side. The women's side made up for yeah. it. Yeah. But the men's side was a flop. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't what we wanted. But again, I think it, it comes back to we wanted to see the Medvedev, the Chorich. The C- we wanted to see all those guys in that round of 16, you know, winning some comfortable matches and, and then moving on to that quarterfinal. And 
playing the you know the all the other guys and showing what the next generation has. I think that's a lot of where this stems from. Um, but still, to answer your question, yeah, I think that these guys made up for it in the semifinals and finals. Like that that is ultimately what a lot of people want to see. You know, I know you're tired of it, and a lot of us who have been you know watching tennis for you know, whatever the last 15 years with this, with these three on tour are are tired of seeing it, but it's unbelievable to watch. And it would have been nice to have seen some, you know, more intense matches in those round of 16 in the quarters. And uh, it it would have maybe provided for a little more entertainment, but ultimately we got what we wanted. We got to see an iconic match. Nadal Federer was iconic. Uh, You know, Batista Djokovic was also a fantastic match. Uh, I thought you were about to call it iconic, and I was going to ask for a sizzle. Oh, God. Yeah, it'd be (laughs) sarcasm at its finest. But then we got the the fifth set breaker. So I I think, yes, it it did ultimately make up for the match. The the first one. Well, I agree with you. And it was certainly a thrilling men's final. But I would argue the more stunning result of the two finals, and this will be how we transition to the women's final, and I apologize in advance if we don't spend 30 minutes on it. Uh, But just simply put, you know, they only lasted on the court for 56 minutes. Number seven seed Simona Halep comes into, I believe, what is. Sorry. (laughs) Now that's, Westoff, you know what to give me there. Um, You know, in terms of, just performance, Simona Halep, from ball one to the final ball, she dominated. She put together her best performance maybe ever. You know, this is her fifth major final, I think. She lost the first three wins at the French Open. This is, you know, the Wimbledon final, obviously not the clay. You wouldn't think a player like her, whose game is so predicated on movement and changing directions on the grass, would have this sort of success. And then she just dominated Serena. It was, it was stunning. It was fantastic. I mean... I was commenting on her movement uh, in the round before, and it showed in this match. I mean, she tracked down everything. And not only was she tracking it down, she was hitting passing shot winners when Serena was coming to the net. I mean, she was fantastic. She was reading where Serena was going. I mean, her returns looked great. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, she she just played overall the perfect match. It, it was amazing. It She did not make... look. I think uh, she had three unforced errors. She had three unforced errors in two yeah. sets. What do you do? And look, Wimbledon is very Wimbledon is very generous about their unforced errors. Sometimes they don't call second serve return misses unforced errors, which I think that's always an unforced error. But I, you know, you hate to make the the comparison, but I, the way Novak Djokovic plays on grass, the way he moves you around, the way he tracks down extra balls, the way he misfoots you. That's what Samana, Simona Halep was all of these two weeks at Wimbledon. She just she got to everything. Her game got better and better and better as she progressed. And in this match against Serena, you know you can't let Serena be the aggressor. You're going to have to serve a high percentage of first serves. Simona does that. 76% on her first serve, wins 83% of those points. She only wins 45% of her second serve points. But again, she only hit 11 second serves in the match. When you can do that, you know, you're five of 11 you only lose six points on your second serve uh that's a pretty good performance uh she she creates five break points for herself four or five there efficient she holds serena to only one break point opportunity which serena does not convert you mentioned it 
three unforced errors against 13 winners. She was calm. <coughs> she was poised. Serena, you know, does her Serena stuff. The crowd obviously itching for a comeback. You've got royalty in the in the in the box. You know, I believe the Duchess was there of Cambridge as well. I think Meghan Merkel there as well. Also yep. for that Serena match. Hey, Serena, you know, every time she thought she had a crack, you could feel it. You, you're like, oh, is this the moment Serena breaks through? And Talbot would just say, nope, I got this one today. And you could see on her face on that match point the way she was looking at her, her, her player box, the way just her expression. She knew I did something special. And in the post-match conference, she said, look, you know, Simona today was simply too good. She played unbelievably well. And it was just... At that level from Simona Halep, you forget, look, Simona Halep's, what, 27 years old? Maybe, uh, yeah, I think she turns 28 in late September. Who's to say, uh, you know, with the Bardi, Osaka, Vondrasova, Bencic, uh, Thrill, Kenan, Anisimova, Simona Halep is in the prime of her career, and it certainly looked like that at this Wimbledon. So you must have read where where I was going with my next little bit because that's exactly what I want to, what I wanted to bring up. First of all, their uh, their birthdays are a day apart. September twenty sixth and September twenty seventh. They are almost exactly ten years apart. So, got to think about that. She is ten years younger than Serena, and as you said, Simone is in her prime. The way she moved, Serena yeah, on the other it hand, it showed. It showed. Yeah, exactly. Serena. I mean, you just saw her unable to to get to certain balls. She just wasn't there to you know in position for a, a lot of this match. And I think the the sneaky secret, maybe not sneaky or even a secret, but we talked all all week about how slow these courts are. Played perfectly into Simona's game. That's exactly what she wants. She wants it to be slow like a clay court. Give her the time to develop the point, get to those extra balls. And that's what, I mean, it allowed her to get to a lot of the shots where at a U.S. Open, where hard court Serena's hitting that back in down the line and there's zero chance she's getting to that ball so this is you know the exact kind of uh environment and and court where that's where Simona wants to be that people have said that she struggled here at Wimbledon look she's made two quarterfinals and a semifinal here previous to this I, I think it's kind of hard to say that this isn't her surface uh considering grass season essentially only is Wimbledon uh and this was the year where she took advantage of the you know, apparently slow courts. Uh, I think it was the the sneaky reason that allowed her to be so successful this week or two weeks. I I don't know if I want to make the case that Simona Halep's game isn't better for hard court than grass. I just don't agree with that. But this particular day, I mean, I would say Serena probably played. I don't want to say she played her worst match of the tournament because she served sixty eight percent, makes fifty nine, makes sixty eight percent of her first serves, wins fifty nine percent. But the thing, you know. Only 4 of 11 at the net, 17 winners against 26 unforced errors. I think the reason those stats look lopsided, clearly she was forced to take chances, is because Simona Halep came in with a game plan. She said, I'm not going to miss today. You know, you're going to have to beat me today because I'm not beating myself. And Serena wasn't capable of summoning that level of tennis. Now, I don't, again, these courts playing slow, blah, 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 blah. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. And I just, because it, it's still grass tennis, right? The ball still skids. The ball still stays low. If you change changing direction on someone, catching them off guard is still the most effective tool on this surface. Uh, you know, it's uh, Simona only two of two at the net. But again, her presence was felt just by the fact that she tracked down so many extra balls. 
Uh, yeah, she's. I, I mean, you're telling me after seeing this performance, you know, she's not your favorite entering the U.S. Open swing. I guess Osaka Barty. Osaka hasn't lost. You know, she's won the last two hardcore Grand Slams, but Simona's made what quarterfinals? I think of all three majors this year. Yeah, I don't know. Is she my favorite? If she if she can pull out some of the tennis that she did in this tournament, where. You looked at her and said, "Oh yeah, that that's the old Serena." Then yeah, I, I she's up there. Uh, I, I don't know if she's like an outright favorite. I, I would it'd be hard pressed to to say that. But uh, she's gonna be up there in that top three. They're probably gonna have Halep a lot higher than uh, she was before. But they'll they'll probably do a Barty Osaka Halep Serena pretty equivalent top four for the for the U.S. Open something like that. I- I remember a couple weeks ago we were joking around, we were looking at the odds, and uh, Serena was I think like minus or it was like plus five hundred to win Wimbledon, and she was the leader in the clubhouse, and we all laughed at it. And now she's at the final, so I guess I was the one who looked stupid in retrospect. Um, but yeah, it, it's wide open, and in fact, the last thing I want to do, and I you know I went to Winnetka this weekend, so I did have Can stories I, from there. Really quickly. There was some world- Really quickly before Winneka, just the only last thing for her that I was disappointed was that she didn't play doubles with her sister. Uh, Venus? Yep. I mean, they got they got miles on the body. They're trying to relax. I know, but I was looking at Serena's record. First of all, so not appreciated that she's won 14 doubles Grand Slams. That is so hilarious. Like, that's just not <laughs> talked about. Uh, and I think one, two, three, four, five. She's won six Wimbledon doubles grand slams one of which was in 2016 i would have loved to see her play with her sister and just win another one for and giggles that would have been hilarious but that was it that's all i wanted to say Winnetka, give me give me your thoughts because i know you were there uh i couldn't couldn't even get a response from you the entire day that you were there and you talked to a bunch of you know good players so uh please let, how, how was the how was the tournament no, it was a blast. Obviously, it's always so fun to be there. And, you know, we had that. We had World Team Tennis this weekend. I, w- I wanted to say we are going to talk about all of those things, uh, you know, this week. We were discussing taking this week off the mini break, and we may take a couple of days off, in which case we will send out a tweet the night before. But when that was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, I was a little disappointed because for some reason Ty Kwiatkowski confused me for you and like, you know, you have maybe a quarter of my work ethic, so that was very hurtful that he would associate uh, the brand with it. Yeah, you like dig, a little dig there. Good dig. That was it. That was a dig after you cut me off. I was feeling offended. Um, no, I'm sorry. That so that came from a roughly. I was just <laughs> that like the most I, hypocritical comment of all time. I was just like, I no, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. I was like, you sparked a oh, look at you getting no, whatever. Stay on track. So the point is, I was like, I guess I look like a Max Rothman, but I, I'm, I was like, I'm Alex. And, and I was I like, I, a, and I could be an Alex Gruskin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, you don't have the eyebrows. Yeah, they're not thick enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're way too presentable in person to be an Alex Gruskin. You're like, oh, like now, this, you're co- now you're complimenting me. That's well, cute. Well, they'd be like skinny fit jeans with that booty. You can't be Alex Gruskin. Um, no, but fun <laughs> thing I want to do at the final because it feels like now, and I'm sure we'll talk about it many a times uh, in the build up to um, the U.S. Open, obviously, but let's have a little fun. Let's look at the Bavada odds to end today's podcast. Uh, let's start with the women's because that's where we ended our conversation. Leader in the clubhouse, Max, can you guess the favorite to win the U.S. Open? 
Barty. Mm, Barty plus 800. She is in fourth. Serena. By the way, Barty plus 800. I'm in. I'm in on all of these. Serena's in the lead right now, plus 300. Osaka. Yeah, I, I just didn't want to say Serena. Yeah, then Osaka, and then Halep, then Barty. Osaka plus 650. Halep plus 700. I like that. Kerber, uh, Stevens, Kvitova next at plus 1,000. You could talk me into Kvitova plus 1,000. Or you could talk me into Pliskova plus 1,600. So I was right. Those four, when I was talking about it before, those four were the top four. Yeah, you were right there. I agree. I'm, I was impressed. Um, oh, my God. Kvitova. Djokovic. I'm just looking at these hats. Anisimova is... plus 2,000. Benchich oh. plus 2,800. Anisimova could easily make a final at the U.S. Open. Okay, easy Kenan, is the wrong word. Okay, here here's the ones I really like. Cannon plus sixty six hundred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, uh, I don't like Andrescu at all. Uh, I would take Benchich plus twenty eight hundred tomorrow. I I've take... done that once already at the French. Yeah. That wasn't. That didn't play out well. Pliskova is plus sixteen hundred. I'll continue to do till she wins a slam, Dude, and then Pliskova. yeah, Barty plus eight hundred. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I like them all. But I'm going to close this out here from the entire team at Cracked Rackets, from you, my lovely co-host and doubles partner. Yes, you are my current doubles partner, not my former. <laughs> Don't worry. Alexander Scott Gruskin. I am your host, Max Rothman. And Alex, what do we say? That's the break. That- <laughs>